Hi Church, it's so good to see you all. I do have a Christmas themed message for you this evening. I'm going to be talking about the first Christmas, that is the events leading up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, I can't believe it's less than two weeks now until Christmas Day itself. You know, it seems to come around faster every year. And you're, if you're also like me, you're probably packing your December month full of end-of-year work functions, probably trying to get all your work done so you can actually enjoy your time off over Christmas. And also, of course, doing your Christmas shopping with that added stretch goal of uh, trying to avoid busy shopping centres if at all possible. And that's just it, isn't it? For me, this is kind of what I think about when I think of the lead up to Christmas. People packed shoulder to shoulder in shopping centres, everyone looking a little bit stressed, everyone in a hurry. And actually, this is Chadston Shopping Centre. This is a short 10 minute drive from where I grew up in the, the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. It is now Australia's largest shopping centre. And I had a look at their website and I was quite shocked to find that over 23 million people went through their doors just this year. That's despite COVID, apparently. 23 million people, just, it blows my mind. It's almost the population of Australia that's, that's walked through their doors. And in that same turn, it might not surprise you as well that this is a place where, growing up, I witnessed the most number of fights over car park spaces. You know, it's especially at Christmas time. You can understand it, can't you? Because everyone's a little bit stressed before they even get to the car park. And then they get there and the car park's full. So the stress levels go up a bit more. And then when they finally do find a car space, they're in there with literally thousands of other people who are all a little bit stressed and in a little bit of a hurry. And it's the kind of situation that does tend to bring out the worst in people. And it's unfortunate, unfortunate in many ways that the end of year does become that stressful, that we do tend to associate Christmas time with this busyness and this stress and of course, the stress and the strain is not limited to just Christmas shopping. For many people, Christmas time and Christmas Day itself can have a more serious and troubling side to it. And actually, I found a, a great quote by a person called uh, Dr. Stephen Carbone, who's a, a clinical advisor for Beyond Blue. Many of you will know Beyond Blue as being an Australian organisation that provides services and support for people battling anxiety and depression. He says this, he says, most people find the Christmas and New Year period stressful. Stress is a fuel source for anxiety or depression. So the more stress there is, the more these conditions flare up. Some people might start putting too much pressure on themselves about what they should buy or do for others. Others might dread catching up with family because it may end in conflict. So we highlight some really good points there, doesn't he? Christmas time is stressful. And we do tend to put pressure on ourselves, I think particularly on Christmas Day itself. There is an expectation that Christmas Day will be perfect, that a lavish meal will be prepared, that all the decorations will be spectacular, that the presents will be just what everyone wanted, and that the family will just get along with each other. But he suggests here that that's not always the case. He says that we can also dread catching up with family because it may end in conflict. And that's true, there may be some unresolved past conflicts, there may be some bad experiences that you've had that you now associate with Christmas. And gathering together with family can bring into focus those strained and stressed relationships that are a reality for many of us. And so 
There are lots of factors here that are starting to add up. Lead up to Christmas can be busy and stressful. There's the pressure of Christmas Day itself. And on top of this, there might be that feeling of dread, uh, knowing that you're going to spend time with family and feeling that sense of those past conflicts coming to the forefront. And all of these things, they do tend to sharpen our focus on what's not right in the world. They sharpen our focus on how we live in a broken world with broken relationships. And for many of us, it turns Christmas into something to be endured rather than enjoyed. But maybe we can take some comfort in knowing that the first Christmas wasn't so perfect either. And that God didn't require it to be perfect in order to work in it. You know, so let's have a look at some of the events surrounding and leading up to the birth of Jesus. And I'm going to draw on both the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, those are the Gospels where you'll find the most detail on the birth and the events surrounding Jesus' birth. So let's start with Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. It says this, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So this is the start of the Christmas story. Mary has been told that she's pregnant with Jesus, the, the future saviour of the world, and pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we're told that she's pledged to be married to Joseph. So for us, that might be similar to being engaged to someone. So Joseph has made this commitment to marry Mary, but finds out that she's pregnant before they actually got married. And so what you get here is a glimpse, I guess, into Joseph's point of view. He doesn't believe that Mary is telling the truth. So from Joseph's point of view, Mary has been unfaithful, right? So in other words, he thinks that she's committed adultery to get into this current situation. And at this time, this is a serious thing to be accused of. According to the law of Moses, adultery was punishable by death. And we see Joseph, he's wrestling with this. On one hand, he's wanting to uphold the law, and on the other, not wanting to see Mary experience this kind of public disgrace, or even potentially death. And so he decides to divorce her quietly. So right from the start, there's tension here, right? There's, you know, Joseph doubts Mary. There's this threat of divorce. And I look at this and I go, if the idea was to tell a perfect, stress-free kind of happy Christmas story, you probably wouldn't include these kinds of details. But thankfully, that's not where the story ends. The story continues. We'll read verses 20 to 21. It says this, But after he, that's Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So more shocking and perhaps more unbelievable than the idea that Mary was unfaithful is the idea that she might be telling the truth. And then we see here God stepping in to reassure Joseph that that's exactly what's happening. You know, Mary is indeed pregnant with a son that they are to call Jesus, which means saviour, the future saviour of humanity. And if you keep reading Matthew, you'll see that Joseph agrees with what the angel has told him, but that doesn't mean that it's smooth sailing from here. You know, we gain some more insights into the first Christmas 
when the story picks up again in the Gospel of Luke. So this is where we learn that Mary and Joseph will now have to travel a great distance to take part in a census. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth, in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So we see that a census is called, which in the Roman world was purely for the purposes of taxation. So this means that Mary and Joseph find themselves in the really inconvenient position of having to travel from Nazareth, where they currently live, all the way to Bethlehem, which is Joseph's hometown. And so the commentary I read on this said that that journey probably took around four to five days on foot, which is a long journey for anyone to make, let alone someone who's pregnant. And I really don't envy Mary and Joseph at all in this situation, because I'm sure they would have had so many awkward encounters with people along the way, from their family and their friends, maybe just strangers they met along the road, trying to explain to them why Mary was pregnant, but they weren't yet married. You know, there's, they no doubt would have endured some sort of scorn for that along the way, and I'm sure they would have been criticised by many because of the unbelievable story that they would have told them. And so the story continues again here. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, 6 to 7. It says, While they were there, that's in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So when they finally arrive in Bethlehem, we're told there's no room for them. So they're technically homeless. And they end up taking refuge in a stable, which I'm sure wouldn't have been great. I'm sure it probably smelt like all stables do. The floor would have been hard and dusty. Animals would have been freely roaming around them. You know, it's the kind of situation that doesn't conjure up the, the perfect Christmas image that you might think when you look at a manger. Sorry, a nativity set. But actually, this is where Jesus is born on the floor of a stable, with nowhere to lie but a feeding trough for animals. And if you keep reading Luke, you'll find out also that the first visitors to recognise Jesus were shepherds, poor and uneducated people who at the time weren't particularly in high standing in that society. People didn't typically want to associate with shepherds. But if it weren't for those shepherds, there would have been no reception. There would have been no welcoming, no celebration. It's a very humble setting, isn't it? There's no fanfare, there's no hype, there's no extravagance. You know, these circumstances, they're not perfect, but they are very humble. And so the story of the first Christmas then concludes with a warning to flee Egypt. We're going back to the Gospel of Luke now. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So sometime after Jesus is born, the family is forced to flee to Egypt because of a threat from King Herod. So King Herod was 
a notorious ruler at the time, notorious for being essentially a, a murderous tyrant. And he ruled with an iron fist. And he had heard about this prophecy. He'd heard about the prophecy that a king would be born, that Jesus would become the king of kings. And he sees this as a direct threat to his rule. And when he can't find the child, he does something absolutely shocking. He orders the death of all the boys in Bethlehem who are aged two and younger. And so the angel has warned Mary and Joseph that this is going to happen. And they flee to Egypt. And this is the story of the first Christmas. You know, the events that are leading up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus. And I look at this and I go, man, this is not what I think of when I look at a nativity set. You know, when I look at something like that, where we often have this lovely stable that looks remarkably neat and tidy, all the edges and corners look perfectly, perfectly in line. Mary and Joseph are looking sweetly down at their baby. They're, they're kind of lost in the moment. There's an angel hovering above them. Everything's silent and clean. It's a very tidy portrayal, you know, with no dirt, no bad smells, no tension, no long journeys. There's no hardship. There's no suffering. Right? But the picture that we get in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke of what the first Christmas was like is that it was hard. You know, it was messy, it was stressful, it was imperfect. You know, it starts with this tension around Joseph wanting to divorce Mary. There's this awkwardness of Mary being unmarried and pregnant, an inconvenient long journey to Bethlehem that leaves Mary and Joseph homeless, giving birth in a stable surrounded by animals, and dirt, a reception from lowly shepherds, and then having to flee to Egypt, where they become essentially refugees. Yeah. And that's not to mention the fact that Mary and Joseph were probably quite young as well. You know, scholars speculate that they were probably in their teenage years. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old they are, but people speculate that Mary was probably around 16 years when she got pregnant, and Joseph wouldn't have been much older, and that's in keeping with Jewish tradition. And I look at this and I go, wow, the first Christmas, that was hard. You know, and the modern day popular image that we have of Jesus' birth, I think has distanced itself from the reality of the event, you know, of how Jesus arrived through imperfect parents in an imperfect place, in imperfect circumstances. And I think when we forget that, the story loses a bit of its meaning and its power, not just because it's inaccurate, but because... Perfect circumstances weren't part of God's plan. You know, and actually, that's good news for us because the real story contains something that's so much more profound than our modern-day image could ever conjure up. This is what it says in Matthew 1, verses 22 to 23. All of this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Matthew says that all of this took place. All of those things that we've just read about regarding the first Christmas, all the events leading up to and surrounding Jesus' birth, all the stress and the hardship, all the mess and the imperfection, they were there to fulfill a promise that one day, that was spoken of rather by the prophet Isaiah, that one day God would walk among us and that God would step down from heaven and become human that one day the world would see Emmanuel, God, with us. So all these events of the first Christmas, they took place to show us that God saw our misery 
and our suffering. And instead of distancing himself from it, he was determined to become part of it. That God loved us so dearly that he chose to live among us, that God chose to experience all those things that we do as humans, all those stressful, imperfect things that we have in our human lives. And that he did it intentionally. You know, this reveals to us some really important characteristics that God has. The first Christmas, I think, shows us that God is humble. God wasn't born to wealthy, or yeah, Jesus wasn't born to wealthy, high-standing parents. He didn't enjoy all the luxuries of life. Instead, the circumstances that surrounded Jesus' birth and his life on earth, they were humble. They're not at all what people were expecting for the King of Kings. But God wants us to know that Jesus is not the typical kind of king. You know, he displays a quality that few kings do, humility. I think the first Christmas also shows us that God is approachable, that he didn't come as some unapproachable military conqueror. He didn't distance himself from our pain and suffering. Instead, he chose to enter into it, and God wants us to know that he's approachable. The first Christmas, I think, shows us that God is caring. If God were distant and removed, I think the last thing that he would do would be to live among us. But that's exactly what he does do. He doesn't look down on human tragedy and remove himself from it. Instead, he cares deeply about what we are going through. He cares about our stressful circumstances and our hardships so much so that he's willing to enter into them. And the first Christmas shows us that God is understanding, not just because he is all-knowing, you know, but because he has first-hand experience of what it is like to be human, Jesus was born into this world. He lived among us. He endured all the things that we do as people. He had experiences that are relatable to us. And that gives me confidence that he understands what we're going through in our lives too. And when I put all this together and I think about what this means, this means that all these characteristics and these qualities, they show us that this is a God who wants a relationship with us. You know, this is a God who is humble, approachable, caring, they're the kind of qualities of a person who wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be part of our lives and he wants us to be part of his too. He wants us to know him. But the fact that God would go to this length to enter into humanity, it does suggest that there's something wrong, doesn't it? That this is not just God wanting a relationship with us, but that God is reaching out to repair something that's actually broken. You know, a broken relationship between himself and humanity. That there's this rift between God and humanity, a broken relationship that needs to be restored. And that is exactly the purpose for which Jesus is born into our world. If there was no broken relationship, there would be no need for Christmas. There would be no need for Jesus' birth. And that's why I find the first Christmas so amazing because it confronts the human condition head on and it lets us know that we are not okay on our own. You know, it's, it shows us that there is this broken relationship between us and God. And that that broken relationship is the reason why our world is filled with so much stress and hardship. It's why our lives are messy and complicated. And the brokenness of our world, it leaves us wanting something more, something beyond ourselves. Because if we're being honest, we're all part of the reason why we live in a broken world. And so we need something more than ourselves to fix it. But in the midst 
of all the stress and the hardship in the midst of the imperfection and the mess, the first Christmas shows us that there is something, or rather someone, that is perfect. That's Jesus. The only person to ever live a sinless and perfect life. A person who shows us how to truly love God and love other people. A person who, as the story continues, goes on to sacrifice themselves for us so that that broken relationship can be restored. He pays the price that we would have otherwise had to pay, and in doing so, he restores that broken relationship. And that means that at the heart of it, the Christmas story is all about restoring broken relationships. Jesus came to fix broken things. And the revelation or the big idea that I want you to take from this is that God didn't require us or our world to be perfect before he started restoring that relationship. God doesn't require you to be perfect to be at work in your life either. In other words, God doesn't require our lives or our circumstances to be in order so that he can be at work in them. God's love is unrelenting. And he says, no matter the hurt that's been done to you, no matter the hurt that you've caused, those things can't separate you from my love. And if God didn't need the world to be perfect before he made his dwelling in it, then he can be at work in our imperfect, stressful lives right now, restoring our broken relationships. The first Christmas shows us that. And so what does this mean for you? The first Christmas wasn't easy. We see this strained relationship between Mary and Joseph, the awkwardness of Mary being this unmarried, pregnant teenager, the inconvenient long journey to Bethlehem that leaves Mary and Joseph homeless, giving birth in a stable surrounded by animals, a reception from lowly shepherds before fleeing to Egypt as refugees. I'm sure life wasn't playing out how they had expected. And maybe you're feeling the same. Maybe this December, maybe this year has been a tough one for you. Maybe you're feeling the stress in the lead up to Christmas or the pressure of putting on a perfect Christmas day. Or maybe you're feeling the dread of past family conflicts. If that's you, I'd invite you to let the reality of the first Christmas change your perspective. Let the reality of God entering into a sinful, broken world remind you that God cares personally about your situation. He understands what you are going through and that you can approach him with all of your stress and your worry. God wants you to know that you are so incredibly loved and he doesn't require you or your situation to be perfect before he can be at work in it. And that doesn't mean that God is going to necessarily necessarily remove the source of all your stress and your strain. It doesn't mean that all your problems are going to magically go away. But what God does promise is that he'll be there with you through it. Now, God is with you in the midst of your shopping stress, bringing you peace. He's there in the midst of your family conflict, bringing you harmony. He's there in the midst of your broken relationships, seeking restoration. God is with you. And let that knowledge renew your mind and then transform your heart because a heart that has been transformed by Jesus is empowered to love other people, even in the midst of stress at Christmas time, even when confronted with those family conflicts and those broken relationships, you have the power to respond to those with godly love, with godly humility, with care and understanding. You know, a heart that's been transformed by Jesus allows you to respond to those situations 
with love. And ultimately, that's what will allow you to fix, repair those broken relationships in your own life. Not by necessarily distancing yourself from them, but by responding to them with this kind of humility, this care, this understanding that God shows us. If Jesus has the power to restore your broken relationship with God, then he has the power to restore the broken relationships in your life. I truly believe that. No matter how broken your current season may feel, Jesus came to fix broken things, and he is with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for sending your son into our broken world. I thank you, Lord, because it brings to stark attention, Lord, that we need you, that we need a saviour, and that you didn't just leave us to our own devices. You saw us in our misery and our suffering, and you did something about it, Lord. You stepped down to walk among us. And I thank you so much, Lord, for Jesus. What an amazing miracle, what an amazing gift that you would walk among us and sacrifice yourself for us, Lord. We praise you for that. You are absolutely amazing. And I pray, Lord, at Christmas time for every single person here who is feeling the stress of this time of year, the stress in the lead up to Christmas, the stress of Christmas Day itself, for those people who are battling with family conflicts. I pray, Lord, that you would lift that stress, that anxiety off them. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them and give them peace in those situations. We know, Lord, that you won't necessarily remove us from those situations, but we know, Lord, that you'll be with us in them. And I pray, Lord, that each and every single person listening to this knows, Lord, that if they've accepted you into their heart, that you will be with them in those situations. You'll be there bringing them peace. You'll be there bringing them harmony. You'll be there restoring their broken relationships. We praise your mighty name. Amen. Amen.